Good morning. Would you would you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter two? We've been allowing carols to guide us through this uh, Christmas season. The one that sort of fixed this Sunday was, um, "O come, all ye faithful," which is about the shepherds. And something I've been thinking about throughout this series, but in particular with today, is how these are some familiar stories. I imagine most people in here have heard the stories of Christmas, in particular the shepherds, how the shepherds were visited by the angel. And a familiarity with a story can be a tricky thing. It can give way at one level to deeper layers of understanding. You know, when you return to something again and again, you can see things you've not seen before, and that's good. But it also can give way to boredom, and that's not good. Either way, uh, whether it's because you return and you go deeper or because you return in shallowness and boredom, you got to be careful. So for the bored, the main point is lost on you. And sometimes for those who go deeper, the main point can be confused. You can be so caught up in some of the little mysteries and treasures you find along the way that it can cloud out. What is the main point? I have a good friend in ministry. He was uh, in a service of the church in his 20s in a big church. And he was one of the associate pastors. And they made him the funeral pastor. He was the minister of death. It was a big church, and it had a very large senior population. And so in his 20s, he did, on average, a funeral a week. By the time he was 30, he had done 100 funerals. And it's careful. When we approach sacred spaces and sacred times in our life frequently, we need to be careful that we don't deal with it by being shallow. Or that we don't deal with it by just, you know, finding little pocketed places where we're still curious, but that we can still hold the main point, the main point. I've always felt with the birth of our children, you know, when our children come out into the world, it's a miracle to me. I don't like hospitals. I don't like medicine. I don't like science. (laughs) I just like the miracle of it. It's the miracle. But yet there's people who do that for a job. My prayer is that they would never lose the fact that they are participating in a miracle when they bring life into this world. Well, today we're at a familiar story, so here's the charge. Hopefully, hopefully we can uh, choose depth over shallowness, but in either way, that let's pray that we don't lose the main point, that at the very least we can hear what's true and say, Amen, Lord. Yes, it's true. Okay. Luke chapter 2. Are you there? Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to walk through this text, uh, kind of verse by verse, and along the way we're going to stop and look at what it says, think about some deeper points, and maybe uh, work to grab the big point along the way. So... Let's look at verses 8 and 9. This is what Luke writes. He says, In the same region 
That would be the region of Bethlehem. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. At the surface, we see that there are shepherds near Bethlehem. They're shepherding at night, and an angel shows up. But there's some deeper thoughts that we could have along the way. For example, I find it interesting. It's an enduring interest as to why the Lord would come to shepherds. Seems interesting to me. Uh, If you think back in the scriptures, the continual way, the role of shepherd, just seems to show up in the Bible. The patriarchs were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were shepherds. The priests of God in the Old Testament were called shepherds by the prophets. King David, uh, who's so central to the Jewish story, was a shepherd. Pastors are called shepherds. In fact, the word pastor is uh, related to shepherd. The Lord himself calls himself a shepherd, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus Christ calls himself a shepherd. He says, I am the great shepherd of the sheep. find it interesting that he came to shepherds. He also came to shepherds who were guarding the sheep of Bethlehem. Now, most scholars agree that the sheep of Bethlehem were likely intended for sacrifice at the temple. Bethlehem is just out outside of Jerusalem. So the fields outside of Jerusalem were largely probably caring for the flocks that were destined for sacrifice in the temple. It's just interesting to me to think that these shepherds wore as a vocation attending to the sacrificial lambs of the temple. I think these are the sorts of deep alleyways that just invite you closer to the Lord. It took place at night. Now, their night is a lot different than our night. Have you ever camped out very, very far away from everything? It's that kind of night. Really dark, really quiet, really peaceful. Um, You know, we sort of can power life in the midst of the night, but they couldn't. These shepherds were likely the only people awake. They didn't have, you know, TV land, you know, or Facebook or anything to sort of keep you up. They didn't have artificial lighting. When the sun goes down, they go to sleep. Except, perhaps, for shepherds. And I'd like to think about this for the shepherds. Uh, You know, every night for them, they probably, these were the night shift shepherds, right? I don't know how you get on that list, but they're the night guys. And I just imagine night after night, This is their job. I mean, nighttime comes every day. Night after night, they're shepherding these flocks in the quiet peace. For one, I've just wondered, they probably were deeper thinkers than we are because they had so much reflective time. But they're they're in this quiet, dark, peaceful night, and then this angel appears and it says the glory of the Lord shone around him. The glory of the Lord is what, what that hearkens to is 
Like when Moses came down the mountain, his face was aglow. Or when Moses was at the burning bush, the glory of the Lord was just the full presence of God was around this angel. I just, they're in this dark, as a life, as a life calling, they're in this dark, quiet place. And then it just rips open with the glory of God. In thinking deeper about this, I've thought, you know, they had probably one sense of peace, you know, that quiet evening peace of dark, quiet, peaceful. And that was torn asunder by this bigger peace of God. And in some place in my own heart, I want to pray for people who haven't met the Lord yet, but are sort of, in their earthly circumstances, have enough peace that they're not looking my, my prayer is God would disrupt that with his greater peace. Like that he would actually steal that quiet peace they might have on earth because he has such a better peace to offer. That's what this angel does. Let's look at the next two verses. The angel's about to speak. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On the surface, the angel speaks to the shepherd a message for all the people. I mean, that's what we see on the surface. Today a Savior is born. But a little more deeply, if we're going to just kind of think about it a little more deeply... The first words, we might say, these, these are the first words spoken to mankind by the Lord as far as the advent of Christ comes. And the first words are, fear not, which I find interesting. The glory of the Lord is drawing close to the earth. And particularly for people with a Jewish background, people with a, a strong awareness of their sinfulness, the idea of the Lord coming was not necessarily, they'd like some, a chance to get ready for that, if you know what I mean. And so the notion of God coming close or the visitation of an angel would be a terrifying experience, but the Lord meets this with fear not, don't be afraid. I think of this all through the Bible, but uh, in particular Ephesians or Isaiah 40, which is about the very same thing, by the way. It begins with comfort, comfort, says the Lord for his people. The first words of God about this is, Peace, comfort, don't be, don't be scared. And it's followed with, this is good news of great joy for all the people. Now, I don't think, I don't necessarily think the, the shepherds fully grasped what was meant by all the people. <clears throat> I don't know if it's important whether they fully understood it, but the angel said it. It was for all the people. It's good news of great joy for all the people. I've thought to myself, maybe that's why the shepherds received the announcement. I mean, why shepherds versus somebody else? Why do they get it? And I think practically, there's a couple of practical reasons. One, they may be the only people awake when this happens. So maybe that's why God went to them. Two, if it is for all the people, then it, the shepherds are as ripe a candidate to receive the pronouncement as anyone else. If it's for everybody, then why not shepherds? That's the second reason. Those are practical. But third, 
and a little more spiritually, I think it's noteworthy that God does not pronounce the advent of the Christ to the top, to those people, to the Jerusalem elite, to the people up top, right? It's, it's interesting that the pronouncement of the arrival of Christ doesn't come to the king. And I, my sense would be when information like this comes to privileged people, they often make it privileged information. It, it's as though the Lord does not observe or respect or honor the power structure that we've set in place on this earth. It's really not the king's job to figure out who needs to know this first and strategically how do we need to roll this news out or what are the optics on this sort of story or you know how do we want to phase the revelation of this because it didn't come to the king because it's, it's for everyone. It is for everyone. I like how the Lord went to the bottom and not the top. Then there is this pronouncement. It's hard to call the pronouncement of the angel the finer points or the deeper points. My inclination is this is the main point to us who is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, every one of those every one of those phrases matters to us. This is purposeful. This is for you. That's what the angel's saying. God has you in mind. He has people in mind when He's doing this. To you is born. Right. Whatever we can say about Jesus, He's human. He's born. I find it interesting that the angel's excited and worshipful and that heaven rejoices at the birth of the Christ child when he hasn't actually done anything. There, there is this glorious heavenly confidence that who he is in nature is enough to know what he's going to do. This doesn't seem like heaven's hesitant to put all their money on Jesus. Let's see how his life rolls out. Let's see if he... No, no. He is the Lord. And so the fact that God would come to earth in the form of a man is itself, we could assume victory. It says he's born this day. It's interesting because he was born at night. Why not say he's born tonight? But it's this day. It's almost as though it's... In the more, a greater formality, it has the day in mind. Not like day and night, but like the day of the Lord. All through the Old Testament, we have this reverberation of the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Well, the day of the Lord happens to be this day. That's what I think he's saying is, this day is the day that the Lord has come. And then you have these series of titles in the city of David, right? That, that says God's fulfilled his promise. He's a savior. He's Christ, which is the anointed or the chosen one of God. He's the Lord. He's all of those things. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He's our hope for salvation. He's the chosen anointed one of God and he's the Lord himself. I think this is the main point of the text. That to us, 
God has given in the form of a man, our Savior, who's Christ the Lord. And that this news is for all people. From the top to the bottom, everyone should know this. This is the main point. It seems to me that to really, no matter how deep or subtle or nuanced we get about the story, that to miss this would be to miss the whole thing. In fact, that's why pretty much every song we sang today was about this moment. When you look at the Christmas carols, they love to sing about this moment. So, O come all ye faithful, joy to the world, hark the herald angels. All the songs we sang today, there is this joyful convergence at this, almost this very text of Scripture. I'll give you an example. I was at a Christmas concert this past week or maybe it was last two weeks ago. And they were singing songs about Christmas. And in the midst of some familiar ones, they sang some that I had never heard. And in fact, they were written in different languages. And one of them that was sung was written in Latin. And it was wrapped around one of these subtle mysteries. In fact, the title of it is O Magnum Mysterium, O Great Mystery. And here's the text. This is the lyrics. O great mystery and wondrous sacrament that animals might see the birth of the Lord as he lay in the manger. Alleluia. Now, I agree with you. That is a deep mystery. That sheep and goats watched this whole thing happen. And and I don't have a single thing against that song. In fact, when I heard it, I worshipped because it really is a pretty interesting mystery. But it's not the main point. It's not the main point. In the song that preceded this one, here's the main point, okay? This one was in Chinese. The title is Peng Yu Ting. This is what this says. Now, I just imagine... Like in China, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is cutting new territory and where it's right up front. Just listen to this lyrics. This is their Christmas song. Friends, listen. Listen to this good news. Jesus came to earth for you. He came from heaven where he was Lord. He has come to save us all. Listen. Hear this great good news. Jesus Christ came to earth for me and for you. That's the main point. Jesus Christ came to earth for me and for you. Let's look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the address, right? They didn't have uh, Google Maps yet. Here's how you know you'll find the baby. You're going to find this child wrapped in cloth, sitting in a food trough, a feeding trough. Now, I find one of the deeper thoughts about this, the unspoken expectation that the angel has for the shepherds. You never see the angel tell the shepherds, you need to go see this child. There's no command. There's no imperative. There's an unspoken assumption that if you knew that on this day was born in the city of Bethlehem a Savior that was Christ the Lord, you'd obviously go. So he just gives them directions. Here's how you know when you'll find him. Because the assumption is they're going to go. 
I mean, at one level, we might say it this way, if we were going to make a principle out of it, that to know, to know what God has done for us would cause us to seek Jesus out, which we see them do. And then he's lying in a manger, which again is a, is a feeding trough for animals. <clears throat> heaven is about to rejoice, right? In a very moment, like heaven's going to open up and there's going to be this heavenly host praising the Lord and saying all these wonderful things, right? Heaven's about to sing. And yet, the king of the earth and the the creator of the world is sitting in a feeding trough. And doesn't seem like it's a problem. It doesn't seem like anything in the story makes us think like it would have been nice if Jesus had better circumstances. If he had a hotel room or a palace, a royal crib, you don't get any of that. It's, it's as it should be. There's, I think there's even something in our hearts that knows there's something poetic as it should be in this arrangement. It's just right. And I think about it this way because really, if you think, well, how, how would you, just think to yourself, how would you offer the Lord better circumstances? As far as God's, I mean, so he made the whole world and everything in it. how would you build him a crib that he'd go, well, I'll prefer that over that. It's all his. I can't even imagine. I feel like what he's made is better than what can I can make. In fact, I almost feel like the closer he could be to the pure creation of the earth, the closer he is to the real majesty of the earth and the the farther I pull him into the world of men, the farther I pull him from the glory of creation. Jesus says it this way in ministry. He's trying to teach people not to worry. He says this, Consider the lilies of the field. They neither labor or toil, yet Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed as such as these. Right? He's saying God made in a whimsical way the lilies of the field. And they're more beautiful than anything we can make. Anything we can ever muster up. I think we think of, uh, sometimes we think of mangers or maybe Christ's birth and you think of, there's a lot of germs. Animals and germs. Or he's just a baby. Isn't it dangerous or unsafe? I just think the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's nothing in the earth that can harm the Lord. The only thing that can harm the Lord is the things he gives himself to. There's nothing that could touch Christ except that which Christ allows to touch him. This, recently I re, reheard the story of Jesus in the back of the boat. You know, the disciples are going across Lake Sea of Galilee and a storm whips up and Jesus is, has his, is asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow. I heard this being read. and There's this gale force storm and the disciples are bailing water and fearing for their very life and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow. And it's the first time in my, li- my life that I thought to myself, how interesting it is that Jesus was asleep in the first place. Have you ever been in a little boat? Have you even ever been in a big boat in a storm? Pick a ship. 
It's hard to sleep. And he's in a little boat in a storm. Why is he asleep? I just, I came to this conclusion. It's because he's God. What could hurt him? The waves are his. They obey him. Jesus Christ is always and ever at perfect peace. Unless he gives himself over for us. Psalm 9 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? Just the thought of Christ just being in the manger. For Christ, the Taj Mahal would have been a manger. Let's look at 13 and 14. Suddenly there was a great... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, you thought the angel was impressive with the glory of the Lord. Suddenly around him is this heavenly host preaching. It sounds like it's a really big deal in heaven. It's not just an earthly thing. It's not like a local phenomenon or, hey, it's really great, you know, mankind's getting a savior It's not like heaven's giving it a nod. It sounds like this is at least as big a deal in heaven as it is on earth. As though the whole narrative of the heavens and the earth have been anticipating this moment. Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace to men. There's this, Christ is the bridge between this. Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace. Peace to men. I read this week, someone wrote, Jesus is the zenith of God's revelation to mankind. That's what he is. He's the zenith of God's revelation. This, just, this is the best moment for heaven and for earth. I thought to myself, well, I've seen this before in the Bible, images of heaven. This isn't all that unusual, but actually, it, more and more I thought about it, it well, got unusual. I thought, well, Jacob had a vision once. Remember Jacob fell asleep? And there were angels climbing up a ladder. Well, that was a dream. He didn't actually see it. It was a dream. And then I said, well, Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw cherubim and seraphim flying around the throne of God. He went, oh, no, that was a vision. Well, Daniel. Daniel saw one like the Son of Man who came and angels in heavenly glory. But that was also a dream. Zechariah has this vision, the prophet, of the the final days, but it turns out it's a vision. John the apostle has this vision of heaven where the lamb who's pierced sits on the throne and you have these heavenly hosts singing, but once again, that's a vision. What the shepherds saw actually happened. It's the only time in the Bible that I could think of and that I could find where all of that glory and all of that splendor wasn't dreamed or envisioned. It was seen. It was actually seen. Maybe, maybe you might say when Stephen, before being stoned to death, looks up into heaven. Maybe then. That's it. This is a big deal. Finally, verse 15, let me read. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, 
they made known the saying that, they had, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. There's two things that stick out in this section of the reading. One is the knowledge of the birth of Christ produced a step of faith by the shepherds, right? We say what they heard, it was assumed that they would seek. And they did seek it. And when they sought it out, when they leaned into the proclamation of God, they walked away, what do you, what did you say, oversatisfied, super satisfied, glorifying the Lord. It was everything it was supposed to be. And I don't necessarily mean that to see it, but to have it validated. God has come for you. They seek it out and they find it to be as they said and they walk away believing God has come for me. They lean into the proclamation of good news and when they lean in, their faith is put to rest. That's the first thing that I think we see, which we should... Say for ourselves, this story has no power for you unless you come to Christ. Unless you lean into it. And it's power to help you. It doesn't have to do with anything I have to say or any other Christian. It's God alone. God can validate himself. God can stand up for himself. You lean into the Lord in faith and God will meet you. They go away. They, they don't. They go away acting like the angel. <laughs> they go away glorifying the Lord and giving thanks and proclaiming. You, they, you know, angel means messenger. I bet you they became their own little angels after this, of telling people what they had experienced. The second thing that I think is interesting here is that uh, their faithfulness served an unexpected role. It served the role of strengthening the heart of Mary and Joseph. I can imagine Mary. You know, she saw this angel. She, she was with child. But she gives birth to this child. And it comes out. Doesn't have wings. It doesn't glow. Doesn't have a halo. It's just a baby. Umbilical cord. is a baby like every other baby. And I'm wondering if she thinks... Is this it? Or did I really see what I thought I saw? Because it happens so normally. And then someone shows up at the door and says, I'm sorry to disturb you, but God visited us in an angel and heaven sang and said that you've had a child. And we've come to see. You imagine how, how she would treasure this? Ah, it is real. Like their faithfulness serves this role for her of, yes, Lord, it is as you said it would be. In all of this, or in any story, we could go deep, we could in each place 
stop and go deep. But the basic truth should be the weightiest truth. For all the depth that you can find around it, for all the things, all the symbolism, all the rising and the falling, we should, it should not cloak or hide the main point, which is, to us, God has given his son in the form of a human for the salvation of all people. And this man is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And for us, that's good news of great joy. That should be for everybody. This is the main point. Do not fear. God has come close to the earth for its great good. And it's for you. Jesus was born as a man for our salvation. He's the chosen son of God. Will you come to him? Please pray with me. And I'm going to say pray. Uh, obviously, you've experienced Christmas before. That's no surprise to me, but maybe the Lord Jesus is not your Lord. So as I pray, I want to invite you to, if you've never made a decision or if you don't, never been walked, how is it that I move from not following the Lord to following the Lord. I want, to, I want to pray in a way that you can follow along. And Even if you've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, this is a time for you to say, yes, Lord, you've done this for me. It's for me that you've come. Let's pray. Lord, we observe this, uh, this story. The gift of salvation to man through Jesus Christ. And we confess we need this story, Lord. We, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us will die. Every one of us is sinful. We, there's things we, about our lives we can't fix. We continue throughout our life groaning against our own imperfections, Lord. And so we look to you. It's this salvation that we come to you now, Lord. And if you've never prayed this prayer, Lord, I, you, one way you could say is, Lord, I'm a sinner and I accept the gift of your son for salvation. And I choose to walk in faith. I choose to lean into this story, Lord, as though it is true and to come to you and to seek you, trusting that I will be found by you. We thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of our sins. And for this great day, in Jesus' name, amen.